All right, I need you to do two things today, totally unspiritual but completely fun, okay? This has nothing to do with read your Bible, pray, or Jesus, the magic answers to every question, okay? Before you leave, you got to take a drink from the drinking fountain and take a nice, big, deep breath. Oh, my word. We have magic water. It's amazing. It's amazing. It came out clear. It came out non-smelly. It's just fantastic. And I promise all the chemicals they're adding to, you, to it aren't going to hurt you at all. Don't worry. It's good stuff. The other thing is, before you leave, you got to herd your way down the hallway and take a look out the back window. Got a beautiful new courtyard out there, ready to go. So get some sunshine and warm. If God would finally turn on the heat, we can actually gather out there and have some fun. So got some great things to celebrate today, as well as celebrating that our, that our students are leading us in worship today. They always do a fantastic job. So why don't you stand, and we're going to sing together. So one of the things you're taught in uh, communication classes is as much as possible, just get distractions out of the way up front so that people don't wonder the whole time what's going on. So the big old thing over here on the side of the face, some of you have been kind of peeking at it. Yesterday we're picking up the, the litter on the I&M Canal, and I, I just leaned right into a nice big old stick. So didn't I? So if you're kind of peeking going, what in the world's going on there? That's what that is. Now you can put that aside. And focus where we're focused. We're, we're working our way through these soul care questions this year. Believe it or not, we've only done seven so far. And the first seven were focused on our relationship with God. The second seven, seven take a turn now and start to really, if you can say it this way, focus on our relationship with us. They, they go internal. They go deep. They kind of go, how am I doing with me? And so it shouldn't be any surprise that the first the first question is really not an easy question at all. When you're looking at yourself, the question that is raised by John Wesley is, am I proud? Am I a proud person? Does pride have a grip on my heart? Now, I got to tell you, pride, we could do a whole series on this. I think pride is kind of a, it's kind of a tricky thing to talk about because there is a sense of pride that is actually healthy and beautiful and, and biblical. When, G, when God the Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, this is an expression of valid pride. I'm proud of this, I'm proud of this boy, God says. I'm proud of my Son. There, there is a place for saying, I, I love what I'm seeing here. This is good. And there's something that happens inside of us that we say, I'm so thankful. Where the pride comes in that might be bad is when we say, I love what's going on in my kid, and it's all because of me. It's all because of the wonderful job I did. It's all because of the fingerprints. I did nothing wrong. I did everything right. And, and look at the beautiful product. And the truth is that uh, we've done as much damage as we've done good along the way. We've got to look at that and realize that, that so much of, of something happening in our lives that is just really good is a gift from God. And we, and we share in that gift and we appreciate that gift so much. But we know full well that pride can have a very dark side as well. There can be an arrogance. There can be just a sense that when I, when I look at other people, I truly think of myself as better than them. Kind of a thank God I'm not you. And, and, and I'm up here, and this is the reason I'm up here. And we can list all the reasons that our life 
is better than the other person, and they're all because of our own efforts and everything that we did, rather than just simply, humbly accepting the grace that God has given to us. So if we were to take the question and reword it a bit, we might ask, um, how am I doing in the area of humility? Am I a person that really walks in humility? Am I determined to walk in humility? You know, I got to admit that when I, when I look at the, the crashes and burns that happen so often in, in very prominent ministries, I think a lot of times they happen because there is a lack of humility. Because there's not that willingness to just restrain oneself and say, I am, I am like everybody else. I am as, as sinful and as prone to sin as everybody else. And so to be able to walk in that kind of humility, is just, it's incredibly important that we develop that as a virtue. Jesus walked in humility. I mean, think about that. Jesus had every right. Philippians tells us he had every right to claim equality with God. And instead, when he came to earth, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. I came as the humble servant. And time and time again in Scripture, he is referred to as the humble servant of humanity. So I wonder, how can you develop in yourself the practice of humility. What can you do to develop a practice of humility so that we do not see ourselves as greater than we really are? I'd encourage you in whatever role you're in in life, whether it's your role as a parent, your role at work, your role as a neighbor, your role at church, wherever you are, is there something you can do on a consistent basis that is the equivalent of Jesus getting up from that table stripping down to the uniform of a servant, grabbing the basin and washing feet. Jesus made those feet. He created those feet. He had every right in that moment to say, everybody bow and worship me. I am the creator of your feet. And instead he said, let me hold your foot and wash it. I believe it is important for us to have some practices in our lives where we do something that we view to be beneath us. And as we do that practice, we're reminded that we're to walk in humility. By the way, we do it and we don't then post it on Facebook. You know, I did this wonderful thing today, look at me. We do it in silence. We, we, we do it in secrecy. We do it, we do it with the assurance that nobody will know but God. What's, what's the act that you could take on? in your role, that if somebody caught you doing that, they'd say, you shouldn't be doing that. You're here. And instead you say, no, here's where I live. I live in the land of humility. So, am I proud? And put that to the other side, in what ways am I developing or practicing humility in my life? We're going to uh, receive communion in a couple moments. Two tables at the back, two tables at the front. Walk toward them after we take a minute to be silent. And, and of all the silences, this one might be tough because that question is not an easy one. 60 seconds to sit and ask ourselves the question, am I proud? It might be easier to ask yourself that than the person next to you. So just ask yourself, am I proud? In what areas do I need to confess this sinful posture before God.
A powerful way to start the morning, right? Wow. Uh, anyway, uh, our servers are now going to come receive the morning offering. As they do, we have some announcements for you. Um, and as always, you can follow along with the announcements in uh, your email go by clicking the links. If you want the links, 
You can go to southfieldchurch.com, scroll all the way to the bottom and hit that plus sign. You can also go out to the Welcome Center and get signed up that way. You'll notice this week the links aren't very different from last week because we have some stuff that's still relevant. Things like baptism, Quest staff, Green Lake, all those things are still, um, still up there and still, you're still able to uh, click on those and get signed up. Green Lake, again, is two weeks away, uh, so make sure that you're getting signed up for that. We also have the Adopt an Island available for you again. So if you want to take ownership of, some, of a spot uh, of our landscaping and make sure that it's staying clean throughout the summer, we would love that. Tied into that, yesterday we did do the INM Canal cleanup. Thank you to all of you who showed up and, and helped with that. If you planned on coming and you couldn't, we're actually going to be doing some stuff around here at 4 p.m. today. So if you'd like to come, uh, again, start just the general de-winterization of all of our, um, of all of our uh, landscaping, you can come hang out and help us at 4 p.m. today. Uh, we also have um, green, or, I'm sorry, for our high schoolers tonight, we're doing our photo scavenger hunt, which has been a long time coming. We're finally to a spot where we think it's going to be okay to go outside. Still dress warm, uh, but we're going to be going all around town, uh, taking crazy pictures uh, with all of our students tonight. So, and with that, we're adding an hour on to the night. So tonight from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., not our normal 6 to 8. It's 5 p.m. to 8. So again, if you show up at 6, we won't be here, and that'll be really like super sad. So make sure that you're showing up around, around 5 uh, so we can get you set up and, and off and taking all kinds of, like I said, crazy pictures. Um, we have some really cool things that happened to our building this week. If you've gotten a drink of water or you've washed your hands, you might not have noticed the stinky water. Yeah, it's fixed. That's really cool news. Uh, we also have some stuff going on over here. Uh, if you get a chance to sneak down the big kids' hallway, uh, you can peek out the windows and see our, like, patio courtyard area. That was finished this week, uh, which is really exciting. Jim Van Eck and his team, all the guys that were a part of helping that, thank you so much uh, for getting that done for us. And what's really cool about that, we originally intended on holding off on a lot of our phase two um, extra little details, things like the patio, things like uh, gym floor, and all those kinds of little minor details that we thought, you know, let's just get the building up first, and those things will wait so we don't add on to the mortgage. Well, thanks to your incredible faithfulness in giving, uh, we are only $29,000 away from being able to do all of those extra things and still not add on to the mortgage. So that's really cool. I, again, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and again, I know there are a lot of people that are going to be using that space, but students, like, I can't tell you the excitement that's starting to flow as we, we've been walking in and out and seeing, like, oh my gosh, this is a huge gym, and we're actually going to be able to play basketball, and like, uh, it's, it's really cool. So thank you for that. Again, uh, if you, if, when we started all the, the giving projects and all that, uh, if you said that you were going to give towards the spring, uh, again, just so we can keep mapping what our giving looks like, um, if you made that original um, promise to, uh, to give towards the building project. That date's coming up here, uh, May 6th. So make sure that, again, if you, if you did agree to, um, to give towards the project in the spring, that's the date. Again, we're not going to come like hunt you down, you know, bang down your door and be like, oh, you promised. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, but if, uh, just that we wanted to keep that in the back of your mind. So, cool. Uh, with that, we have a video to start the morning.
there are days when the pain is a lot to carry. And the ones who are supposed to love you end up hurting you the most. Everything inside you wants to run, to hide, to escape. And sometimes that's how you cover the pain. But that's not how scars work. They run deep. And so you pretend everything's okay. But the pain doesn't stop. I think pretending just makes it worse. Until you realize you're not alone. Other people are broken too. And they need someone to help. Someone who knows what it feels like. Who's walked through it. The pain can scar you. But it also changes the way you look around yourself. At the world. At people. Because no one's too broken for grace. That's what makes it grace. Pray with me. God in heaven, we live in a broken, hurting world. And it's just not out there. It's not just out there. It's in here. It's in us. We thank you that we can come to you and, um, and we don't just leave our problems at the door and come in here and play happy and then leave, but we can bring our problems in here. We can bring our pain and our heartache into the presence of the living God. And you, the God of all comfort, using your wonderful family, can bring help and hope to every person. Oh, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since Easter, we've been walking with uh, Jesus and two of his disciples down the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a seven-mile journey. And what I'd like to do this morning is just kind of hit the refresh button and read the story one more time. Now, I know if you've heard the story a few times, you're like, been there, done that, I know this. We're going to be talking about listening today. All right? So, this gives us a good opportunity to practice. 
listen to the word of God and see where it might touch you uh, differently today. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven And those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Beautiful. So where have we been? We encountered two people, one named and the other unnamed, on this seven-mile walk. We took the lack of the one disciple being named as an invitation to insert our name here, to actually enter into the story. They chose to walk together. That That was a conscious choice. They chose to walk together to deal with their pain and their loss in community. So often when we're in deep pain, we want to be alone. Get away from people, they hide, but they didn't. They, they were together in their deep pain. We see these two having a conversation, as we've said many times, that is so real, so raw, and so compelling. It's so intimate that it drew Jesus into their presence. They welcomed the stranger, and we call him the stranger because at this point, he's a nameless person. They don't recognize him, and they bring this person into their conversation. They don't tell them to butt out. They don't change the topic. 
They share the depth of their pain with this total stranger. They welcome the stranger. And once they come home, they actually extend an invite. They say, stay with us. It's late. It's been a long journey. They extend true hospitality to someone they don't even know. So what do they do? They let the stranger in even further. Now, I want to back up a little bit. We talked last week about entering the home, but I want to back up a little bit. We need to take a further look at a crucial point in this story. Jesus joins them on this walk, and he asks them what I consider to be a pretty invasive question. He, he just kind of goes for it. So what are you talking about? He knows they're talking, so what are you talking about? He goes for it. He, do, he doesn't give them kind of a polite out. You know, we have to remember it's a conversation between these two that serves as the invitation for this stranger to join in. Like we said, their talk is so real, it's so raw, that it caused Jesus to want to join them on the road. And this is part of the invitation for us. Part of the invitation for us is to, is to make our conversations go to places that matter. Not just the trivial stuff, not just the safe stuff, how about them cubs or socks or whatever, not just the surface, how's the weather. No, we dive together into the personal, into the painful. And as we do, Jesus draws near. And the conversation between two is now a friendship circle of three. The unfolding of the conversation, I believe, is, is so instructive. It's a guide for us. It helps us to better understand how to join with people in their particular spiritual journey. Remember what happens when Jesus asks Cleopas and the unnamed disciple, what things? What things are you talking about? What are these things you're alluding to? The Bible says they stop dead in their tracks. They're walking along and er, just a, a dead stop. They come to a halt. Here's, here's the way scripture puts it. They stopped short and sadness went across their faces. Their pain is deep. It's compelling. And, and that question, that question itself, what things brings it all to the surface? It, it causes sadness to streak across their faces. I wonder if you ever had a moment like that. There were just no words to capture the sadness you were feeling. It was just so, so deep and intense. Or maybe you evoked that in someone else. You asked them what you thought was a simple, straightforward question. What things? And as you did, you could see this visceral reaction, the facial expression as if you had just punched them in the stomach. They stopped, they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Now, when, when you feel that kind of sadness or, or when you can see that in someone else, when, when you receive that, what is that moment like for you? What, what does that feel? What do you do? What do you want to do? You see, I, I think it's our natural inclination to want to jump into comfort mode. We see someone with that kind of sadness across their faces and we attempt to alleviate the hurt. Or maybe we even hope someone will alleviate the hurt in us. We do this in part because we sincerely want to help. There's no question about that. But we also do it because the moment is incredibly uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable to sit there with this person in pain or feeling our own pain. What did Jesus do? He sat in the discomfort with them. And how did he do that? He just listened. He just listened to what they had to say. 
Jesus opted to listen rather than to fix. Jesus opted to listen rather than to fix. That's important. And oh, how we love to fix. How we love to put a band-aid on it. How we love to make the boo-boo all better. But Jesus does, does the things, does the thing that was needed the most and the thing that was hardest to do. He just let him talk. He doesn't rush into the space or force anything. He just sits in the space with them, feeling the sadness. In fact, we might better say that, that, that it's not so much that he felt the sadness, but he stood there and allowed them to experience the fullness of their sadness. Now remember, he could have remedied all of this in a moment, right? He could have said, it's me! Look at the holes. Done. And all of a sudden, I mean, there would be cheering and celebrating. Sheer joy would have come over that experience. All the sadness would have been vanished. They would have been forgotten. But no, Jesus recognizes the spiritual nature, nature of sitting there in the ashes with them. He doesn't fill the space with words. He offers no answers, no quick fixes. He just sits there and listens. You know, I'm, I'm thinking through this and my mind can't help but jump back to the book of Job. Job, we're told in the Bible, lived a charmed life. And Satan comes to God and accuses and says, the only reason Job loves you is because you've given Job a charmed life. And so God says, fine, remove the charms. But spare his life. In one day, calamity after calamity after calamity comes upon Job. Misery is heaped upon misery. His own wife looks at it and says, you might as well just curse God and die. It, this is, it's an incredibly pain-filled moment. Job 2, starting with verse 8, it says, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat in the ashes. And this is the low of the low. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity, curse God, and die? What is she saying in that? Certainly you've done something wrong to deserve this. I mean, nobody gets this kind of punishment without having done something wrong. Stop pretending you're innocent. Just curse God and die. And, you know, sadly, sometimes when we're coming up to someone who is in deep pain, one of our tendencies is to ask, so what did you do wrong? What did you do to deserve this? That's very comforting, isn't it? Well, his reply is priceless. You talk like a foolish woman. He didn't say she's a foolish woman, mind you. He's a very good man. You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Blameless man. Though no longer blessed with a charmed life, he's blameless. Now the next few verses are incredible. We read, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Imagine that. They, they're looking, they're like, is this our friend? It says, wailing loudly. They, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. So this is part of what's beautiful about their culture. They actually have ways of expressing, we're sad with you. It may sound strange, your friend starts clutching dirt and throwing it in the air. But, but this is what they did to say, we're feeling this sadness with you. 
Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Oh, what a beautiful statement. They saw that his suffering was too great for words, and for seven days they did the best thing they could have possibly done. They kept their yappers shut. They just sat there with him in the silence. This is, this is his friends at their finest. Seven days of silence, just sitting in the ashes with Job. I admit my role as a pastor places me in the center of many ash heaps. I find myself in those moments of, of intense pain in people's lives. And when I was younger, I used to sit there in those, in those moments and I'd, I'd struggle for the right words. What's the profound statement I can say that'll fix all of this? It's funny because sometimes after a person had experienced their ash heap moment, they'd express deep thankfulness. And I kind of think, I didn't say anything. All I did was sit there. Sitting in the silence, taking a place in the ashes alongside of our friend is the best thing that we can do when it is obvious that the suffering we are witnessing is too great for words. Now one of the themes that emerges from the book of Job is what happens when we open our mouths to fill the void, to fix the pain. Job's wife, F, fail. And the three friends fail the test as well on day eight and following. They, they, they try to talk, and in the process, they do great damage as they try to verbally fix Job and fix his pain. What if we were to opt to listen rather than to fix? What if we were, what if we were to opt to do that, to listen rather than to fix and I'm not just talking about moments of emotional pain. We're so quick to fix. Yesterday I was at Jewel, and I'm, I'm kind of over in the garden area. I'm so happy. It's above 40, and they've got plants out. And so I'm looking, at, and I hear someone, hi, Dennis. And I look, and it's, it's my neighbor across the street. I talk to my neighbor across the street more at Jewel than I ever do on our street. It's pretty amazing. And so we're just kind of talking about some events that happened around the neighborhood and whatever. And, and, and I actually, I complimented her. I said, you're doing a great job raising your kids. Your kids are really good. It's just obvious that you're doing a great job raising your kids. And I'm kind of on the other end of that. And, and, and we're talking about the nature of their kids and whatever. And I said, you know, the, probably the biggest mistake I made as a parent was with number three. Uh, and that is that with number three, I had a tendency to do everything for him. Number three, our, our, our third, our final child, was, he was small for his, for his age all the time. And not always that strong, and he was a left-handed kid in a right-handed world. And I don't know if you've ever tried to raise a left-handed kid in a right-handed world. You just do it for him. It's too hard to figure it out. And so whether it was grab the jar, I'll open it, whatever it was, I'd just do it for Nate. And then all of a sudden he's 18, and he's like, Dad, do this for me. And I'm like, do it yourself. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. You don't know how. Why don't you know how? Bad dad, bad dad, bad dad. All my fault. Brian did everything himself. And Shelly paid to have everything done for her. It all works out well. <laughs> Can you let someone you love sit in the struggle? Can you just let them sit in the struggle? Do we have to fix? I mean, part of the reason I'd fix things for Nate was because it was just taking too darn long. 
go. I can get this done faster. I can do it faster. Jesus didn't rush in and fix it. He sat in the ashes and listened. How do you know if you're a fixer? <laughs> Here are some of the words you'll hear coming from your mouth. You know what you should do? Sound familiar? You oughta, or, or we'll kind of soften it. If I were you, I'd, boom. Have you tried, mm, suggestion, or, or how about this one? little condemning. Remember when I told you? You'd have just listened. Our inner fixer is well-meaning, but sadly, what we do not realize is that our effort to rush in and make it all better is actually short-circuiting the great word God, work God is trying to do in the life of another. Philippians 1.6. And I am certain of this, Paul says, that he who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Am I willing to get out of the way and let God finish the work God started? Or do I keep claiming the role of God and deciding I will be the creator of heaven and earth and I will be the one to fix you? This will mean letting someone walk through the deep weeds and watching them and thinking, I got a sickle. And, uh, they have to figure it out. It is God's work, not mine. Jesus opted to listen rather than to fix. Can we? Will we do the same? Now let's face it, this moment, it's, it's awkward. It's just hard. It feels like something should be happening. Someone should be saying something. But the best thing we can do is sit in the awkward. Sit in the awkward and just wait. Don't fill the space with words. Wait. Just wait and listen. And you know what? In the listening, Cleopas did speak. He expresses, first of all, frustration with Jesus. Are you the only one who doesn't have a clue of what's happening here? And a lot of times when we listen, the first thing we get is a blast of rage. A blast of fury. Fury at the situation, whatever. He expresses some fury at Jesus, some frustration. What's wrong with you? How can you not know what's going on here? How, how can you not have a clue? The second thing he does is he relays the facts. He just tells the story. You know, I had a realization many years back. No one taught it to me. I just observed a pattern. In moments of unexpected tragedy, I mean, you just get whacked. A sudden death, a suicide, the discovery of an affair, spouse walks away and you didn't have a clue. In the initial moments of, of deep emotional shock, people just kind of re keep repeating the facts of the story. You just keep hearing the same lines over and over and over again. It's like their hard drive is stuck. You know, like it just, it just keeps going and over. And I really believe their mind is trying to just make sense of the unthinkable. Just trying, just trying to put it together. How does this fit with my reality? Cleopas is still there. He's repeating the facts. He's trying to make sense of the senseless. And then what does he do? He shares their dashed hopes. Well, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Now we're getting there. It's not just his fury, and it's not just the facts. Now he's saying... Here's the way this impacts me. This is the pain of it all. This is where the listening really starts to pay off beyond the frustration, beyond the fact, to the deeply held feelings. He's relaying the personal impact. This is why this hurts so much. We had such high hopes. How many times 
is a tragic event really just about the death of hope. The baby that doesn't make the term. The teen whose life is ended in a highway accident. The marriage that was just starting out and it's already over. The termination that comes when it seemed like the program was just finally coming together. The relative who has walked away from God and you're just shaking your head. The couple who are making plans for retirement only to learn that one of them is terminally ill. It's not just frustration or the facts. It's the deep feelings of loss. But we had hoped. And now hope is lost. Jesus models what it means to be a true spiritual companion for another person on the road between now and not yet. Sitting in the sadness and allowing the words of another to just flow. He gave them space to find the words, not to put words in it for them. And again, don't miss this. Jesus played dumb, right? He could have fixed all this in a heartbeat. But he sees the value of the ashes. He sees the value of unfolding the frustration, of expressing the facts, and of getting the feelings out there. Real patience is required for this. He was restrained and he was disciplined in his approach with them. You see, if we're going to say anything, what we need to do is we need to extend an invitation. Hey, why don't, why don't you talk about whatever piece this is and just give them the chance to tell the story. Why don't you tell me about whatever it is. Or how about this one? So what really hurts? Now to you it may be obvious what really hurts, but guess what? It's not as obvious as you think. I told you last week that I was spending some time in Indiana uh, earlier in the week, and it was with a group of people who I went through a, a program with over two years just based on how to learn to listen better. And part of our listening to, be, to get, listening better is getting together in twos and just listening to each other. And so we had one of those opportunities to catch up. And I'm sitting across the chair, in my chair, across from a, a, a person I've gotten to know over the last three years who um, 10 years ago was diagnosed with cancer. She had a three-year-old. She went through chemo. Everything seemed great. Until a few months ago that they found another tumor. And, and she's rattled by it. She's shaken by it. And as I sat with her and she began talking, I, this question kept coming to my mind, and I thought, that is just a, what are you thinking? Why would you say that out loud? But, but, it, but it wouldn't let me go. And so I finally just said to her, so what's the hard part for you about imagining what it'll be like when you're gone? Not if, but when. I just, I made it hard. And she said, I'm afraid that when I'm gone, my husband will find someone better than me and my kids will be better off than they were when I was their mom. I would have never guessed that one. It's a good mom. What happens when we just ask a person what hurts instead of telling them what hurts? Or telling them what would hurt us. What if we just ask them and let them be the one from the ashes to express their heart. Or to decide, I don't want to tell you. And we're okay with that too. So let's talk about how we really listen. Let me state the obvious. Be silent. Shut the yapper. 
Just be quiet. That, that's a good place to start, okay? Don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. And you know, sometimes what will happen, a person's unfolding the story, and you feel the need for a detail. Let them flow. Because when you ask for that detail, boom, all of a sudden the story is off track and they forget what, just let it flow. I promise you if you'll let it flow, some of the details will unfold and some you'll realize didn't really matter as much as you thought. Don't interrupt. Resist the urge to plan what you're going to say next. Do you know how many times I'm talking to somebody and I go, oh my word, they're formulating their answer. They don't even hear what I'm saying. They're, they, they just, they're so profound. They're thinking through their pieces. I just want to say, tell me what you're thinking so we can get moving on. Just listen. You know what's beautiful about just listening? It'll actually slow down the conversation. Because now you'll have to just stop and reflect after they've spoken. So just give them the chance to talk without forming it, without thinking through. Uh, This is being fully present to what the person is saying rather than trying to craft the brilliant thing you're going to say next. How about this? Wait on the Spirit. Recognize that Jesus is part of this conversation. Listen to Him too. Listen to the Spirit too and what's being said here. Further, ask really good questions. When your opportunity comes, ask really good questions. You might ask with, can I ask you a question? Get permission to go there. Uh, How does it feel today? You know, you're dealing with somebody whose spouse died three years ago. Whose child died five years ago. Asking how does it feel, that's a pretty good, how does it feel today? What, What are you going through today? Today's a good day. Yesterday wasn't, but today's a good day. Or today's a good day, but tomorrow's an anniversary. And I really don't want to go there. How about this question? What do you think God is up to in this? Now, be ready for maybe an ungodly, unspiritual answer. God isn't even present. He hates me. They might go there. Go with their answer, not the one you want. How is God shifting or changing you in this? happening to your heart what happens when you pray about this sometimes they'll say oh i haven't prayed about it at all sometimes they'll say it feels like it bounces right back off the ceiling and into my lap put all questions on hold that are simply there to satisfy your curiosity sometimes someone's telling a story and you just want to know more know when it's you And just put those on hold. And I couldn't think of a better way to say this, but hold back comments that place your value judgment on it. What do I mean by that? They may be describing a situation and you go, that is really horrible. And they go, well, no, it really wasn't. It was actually, I can see the good in it. You see, when we say that, we might actually block them from going where they were going to go. You may feel like it was horrible, that's fine, but but keep that in for now. Instead, you might just turn and ask, what was that like? I love the wisdom of Julian of Norwich when she said in talking to a person, first I look at God, then I look at you, and then I look at God. A constant awareness that God is part of the conversation and that I need to not just be listening to the person across the table or in the next chair, but I need to be listening to what God is saying in all of this as well. So one final thing in all this is you're just dealing with your own personal awareness 
of your life as a fixer, it is possible that in some roles in life you are fantastic at just sitting and listening. And there are other roles where you just have a natural propensity to move into fixer role. I mean, if you're a parent, you have a toolbox. And you're not afraid to use it. Especially certain kids. Some kids are kind of self-fixed. And other ones, man, they need maintenance, right? Be aware that you might do something great with another adult, but with your own kid, you want to fix. And you go, man, I need to resist the fix when it comes to my 37-year-old child. Um, Seriously. If you're a big brother, an oldest sibling, you were born a fixer. We, I mean, we would, I came out ready to fix everybody in my family. We got to be aware of that. That I might be good with some, uh, you know, someone that's a relative stranger, but if it's my brother or sister, whoop, totally different thing. How about this one? Uh, I'm a pastor. Pastors are professional fixers. You don't come to me except expecting to go, man, I have no clue. You expect brilliant, well, Look at Hezekiah 37.21. There it is. If I ever pull out Hezekiah, you better check your Bible. It ain't there. Anyway. Maybe your role at work causes you to be a professional fixer. You're an engineer. Engineers aren't supposed to go, I don't know. Engineers are supposed to fix. Maybe you're a journey group leader, and you're, or maybe you want to be a journey group leader, and you keep going, I can't be a leader. I don't have all the answers. I would be so relieved if we finally had a leader didn't have all the answers. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? We have lots of leaders that don't have all the answers. That's what makes them great leaders. They know they've got to rely on God. So let me give you two practices that you can undertake that I think will help your listening skills. And both of them are very difficult if you don't do them yet. The first is this. Try practicing silence. Five minutes. Five minutes. No TV. Click off the phone. Put it far away. No noise. Just sit and be quiet. And you think, like, to do what? To be quiet. (laughs) Not even to pray. Not to read. I, I don't want to sound real weird here, but not even to think. To just be quiet. You know, it's crazy. I mean, five minutes, you'll need a watch close by. Because this will be really fun. Got to be done. 45 seconds. What? (laughs) And then, when you've done five for a little bit, take it up to eight and then to 15 and maybe even try 20. It is amazing how just being quiet helps us to learn how to be quiet. Another practice This morning, Brian's reading that passage from Luke 24, and I know what some of you are doing. We have read this passage before. We could save four minutes. We could get out of here. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You've heard this passage before. You know this passage. It's like, why in the world would I ever have to read John 3.16 again? I know that verse. Take a passage, a short passage, and read it every day for a week. Every day, same passage. Every day. And listen, I am blown away when I do this. That the first day I go, oh, look at all this great stuff. And the second day I go, that's interesting. The third day I go, I've been here. And the fourth day I go, how did I miss that? Listen by being quiet and listen 
by simply hearing what God has to say again and again and again. So, it was kind of funny. We left church last week, and everybody's standing in the gathering space, standing like this, not like this, you know, open stance, got that thing going. Today, everybody's going to leave and go, so. (laughs) Have a great day. We'll see you. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come. Yeah.